Hey everybody! Hello out there! It's RK. It's Squeezer. And we got another Rad Years podcast for you. How about I like it, Squeeze? I start with this big over-the-top energy, and then as soon as I'm done with the intros, I just drop back into my... Sullen state? Sullen, self-hating, lack of self-esteem, and ability to broadcast self. <laughs> well, we're doing it, buddy. I don't know how. I got uh, I got a little junk food news. So Ooh. I told you the wonderful and beautiful Enchantress tracked down a box of uh, Cocoa Puffs ice cream scoop cereal, which is no much shit. sought after. So I'm going to try it. I got two new items of junk food. And since I know you don't want me to stuff this down your throat, I'm going to be the guinea pig this week. I kind of want to try it. Well... You're not here. I know. We've really... We've gone too many shows now. I yeah. miss your presence. So, you hear that? Box opening Ooh. fresh. And audio unboxing. Oh, yeah. All right, let's give this a whiff. And I can testify, I am watching him do this. So, the first note I get is heavy strawberry. And it's supposed to be strawberry, chocolate, and vanilla. This is like a cupping. <laughs> so I got my bowl here. Pour a little. It looks good. It looks like Cocoa Puffs, but there's strawberry and vanilla ones. I haven't had Cocoa Puffs in, I don't know, since I was a kid, so I guess it looks like Cocoa Puffs. Can't eat cereal without adding a little milk to it. Right, Squeeze? Ooh, organic. Fancy boy. Oh, yeah. Whole milk, too. Only whole. All right. No. It's not bad. So it took 33 shows, but we've, we're just listening to you eat now. <laughs> Definite Neapolitan taste. Chocolate's not that strong, you really, but the, neither is any flavor. It's kind of a good blend. Hmm. Is it like a milk chocolate, if you had to pick one? Or does it have, like, smoky hints to it? Or, no. like, a nutty flavor? Mmm. Mmm. It's like, um... Just a very light chocolate. All the flavors are very light. It's, very, it's not too sweet. It's not bad. I mean, you want it just for the box artwork alone. Oh, sure. You're, gonna, you're keeping that, I assume. Oh, absolutely. Would you keep the whole box, or would you, like, frame it? Oh, yeah. I'll make you a shadow box for it. So also, Hostess introduced peanut butter ho-ho squeezer. Oh. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to eat more than that. Uh, you actually have my attention right now. Yeah, so we'll see. you know what a regular ho-ho is, right? Yes. It's like a chocolate cake that's wrapped. It's a roll cake that's wrapped up with uh, like a vanilla cream icing with mm -hmm. the chocolate glaze. This one looks like it has a peanut butter swirl on the top. And it's got peanut butter icing, so we'll give it a try. Hmm. 
Very sweet. Almost like a diabetic sweet. <clears throat> the look on your face says uh, you're not necessarily enjoying yourself. Was it a little too much? That's a lot of sweet. You could barely taste the flavors over the sugar. <laughs> it's chocolate and peanut butter. What do you even need to add more sugar for? Yeah, right. It's very sure I gotta cleanse my palate with one more bite of <laughs> sugar. The cocoa pops. No, I'm, I'm still gonna try my. You're still gonna try what? My, I think I'm onto something with the cocoa puffs and bugles. Make little ice cream oh, cones right. out of them. Yeah, this only has eight grams per cup. So, I think there's eight grams per square millimeter in that cake, Hostess cake. It's so dense. So I would say definitely if you can find them, buy these cocoa puffs, just for the box art alone. A box artwork alone. I would say. Unless you like really, 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 if unless you like ho hos, I probably to begin with don't, I'd pass on the peanut butter ho hos. So, what do you think, Squeeze? Would you, are you gonna try any of them? Uh, no, now that you told me it's too, because I'm not one for the sweets, I am one for the peanut for peanut butter, right? Well, who but is it? when you just kind of pack it with sugar, like when I get my peanut butter, I like the the shit that you have to kind of keep in the fridge and stir up because it's just, I just want peanuts in a jar. I don't, won't put canola oil or any of that shit in. Just give me peanuts in a jar. So when you start cramming sugar into it, eh, it just takes away from it. So what are we talking about tonight, Squeeze? We are talking about the year 1993. Oh, wow, you sound better. Yeah? Yeah. That's good. I don't know what that could have been. Yeah. Uh, anyway... I'm sure you have one of your ridiculous rundown lists. No, well, like like promised, um, I kept it to one page. One page, right. Uh, front and back, multiple columns, little boxes with squiggly lines taking us from one place to the other. Right. And the occasional sticky notes stuck to different places where I ran out of room to write. Like a psychopath's kill list. Well, to be fair, it is all used in black ink from a black Bic pen um, standard... Uh, the bound stick, which I refuse to use any other pen to write with because every other thing is just too fancy for me. I need just the basics. Now, next, eventually, when you see me starting to write this list and nothing but clippings from magazines and newspapers, <laughs> then you can start to worry. So you're not, However, you're, you're not saying when, case, if and when. You're saying not. You're saying not if. You're saying when. I'm saying when. Right. However, it is very clear that my K's and I write a lot of them because of my name. Um, that it is a my my K's are just quite distinct, and that of someone that has psychopathic tendencies. Psychopathic tendencies, yes. Fantastic. Anyway, so let's get started for a fun year in 1993. I try to knock out all the sad stuff early, so here we go. All right. All right. So we start off. Bill Clinton was president. He signed the Brady Bill into law. The blizzard of '93 happened. There was a 7.8 quake in Hokkaido, Japan, and the World Trade Center was bombed. Nelson Mandela won a Nobel Prize. The European Union became a thing uh, for a while. We'll see. Yeah, well, time will tell on that one. Never fixed the Hubble. Yeah, well. Uh, Buckingham Palace opened its doors to the public, so you adoring Brits can finally see where your queen literally shits. Literally. 
nothing, Ryan? Do you want to try on this one? <laughs> you want me to have a, my accent? <laughs> Go for it. I, what was my what was my comment? I don't know. I don't just can I hear a little uh <clears throat> let's see, Queen of England. L- little Queen of England. I should have thought my golden throne. No. <laughs> Come uh, watch me. <laughs> fat, mm. Let them eat cake. That was Paris. Sorry. Uh, Versailles, I should say. Uh, so while we're while we're still talking about bombs, there was a nuclear explosion in Servesque. <laughs> um NAFTA was Dick. a thing. Well, uh, for for time now, being uh, Beanie Babies <coughs> was a thing. Was a thing. It just being. became they Ty uh, something Ty put out their first whatever the company was called put out their first one in '93, right? Yeah. You know what it was? Hmm. I don't. I was wondering. He didn't. Oh no, no. I had a beaver. It was adorable. <laughs> My sister Adam. I didn't give a shit about Beanie uh, Babies. Michael Jackson was under investigation for touching kids. Uh, Intel brought us the first Pentium processor. Uh, Kim Campbell, do you know who she is, Ryan? Uh, Soup Air. What the hell is that? Oh. Like the heir to a soup fortune. No. No. No, well, the next most greatest position you can have in the world next to being the heir to a soup company. She was the first female prime minister of Canada. Oh, our nation's hat. Yes. Uh, the World Wide Web became a thing at CERN. Uh, we God. cloned the first human embryo. Eh. Speaking of awesome technology, more important than that, Dyson gave us a bagless vacuum cleaner. How long till after CERN created the World Wide Web did someone upload and download the first naked picture of a, of a person? I'm pretty sure that's why they did it. Right, that was the first thing they did? Yes. First transmission. I think so. All right, Dyson created his vacuum. Go on. Uh, Star Fox came out. Dope game. Uh, Janet Reno became the first female attorney general in the United States. That is quite important because it gave us the possibly the, one of the greatest roles on SNL with Will Ferrell playing Janet Reno. It's Reno time. Uh, women Busted were allowed to become fighter pilots in the Air Force. As they should be. Uh, Power Rangers. Uh, Battle Mogadishu, which then gave us a Black Hawk Down movie. Doom came out for PC. Jack in a Box had an E. coli outbreak. And then there's the Four Corners disease outbreak. That was fun for everyone out there. What was the Four uh, Corners disease? Uh, hantavirus. Well, and that was oh, that. That helps. What was the Four Corners disease? Hantavirus. Ah, uh, hantavirus. Uh, yeah. It's a respiratory disease you get from like mouse shit. Ah. So if you like go into like an old abandoned house with a bunch of mice and you breathe all that air in, uh, you're. It's like. A less burny sensation <coughs> of uh, like chlorine gas. Your lungs just start to like fill with fluid and bleed. Huh. It's fun. All right, since we're on such fun topics, some pe- we lost some people uh, in 1993. Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Aubrey Hepburn, uh, Superman, Thurgood Marshall, Andre the Giant, uh, River Phoenix, and Pablo Escobar. <whistles> uh, but we had some birthdays. Okay. Uh, Chance the Rapper. Oh, buddy. He was born? Yeah, he was born in 1993. Is that young? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yes. We were discovering things with our body when he was born. <laughs> uh, I love Chance. Uh, though. And Tiffany Trump was also born. Man, two people who are both in the news. One is trying to do so much good. The other is doing trying to hide, I think. Or and Deadpool was born. 
Ah, but it wasn't the Deadpool we know. Uh, Rob Liefeld drew him as an assassin, which he is, but just an assassin in, um, I believe, X-Force, right? Yes, X-Force. Uh, while we're on comic books, we got Maximum Carnage in 93. Which was awesome. Uh, Azrael took the mantle, as we spoke of uh, last, last week. Show. Yeah. Uh, Conan the Barbarian finally got canned after all those years. And uh, Hellboy got hit, uh, made his debut as well. Mike Mignola. Uh, he was writing for uh, Batman, I believe, before that. Or drawing, I'm sorry. Drawing for Batman. Uh, Mortal Kombat 2. Awesome game. Uh, NBA Jam. Another awesome X-Wing game. X-Wing came out, came out on uh, PC. X-Wing. Oh, and how awesome they are. Wait, what was that? X-Wing came out on Sorry? PC? You said X-Wing yeah. came out on PC, and then after that? X-Wing came out on PC, Link's Awakening, and Kirby's Dreamland, oh. which we already spoke of. Yes. Uh, the NES got a new design. Oh, the, um, the second edition. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the more curves and aerodynamics. Yes. And uh, despite... Um, well, I guess the investigation came later in the year, because this was earlier. Uh, Michael Jackson performed at the Super Bowl. Ah, um, well, that could have the, been like January of '93. Yeah, obviously it had to be. Yeah, so it was there. Um, there was the Amy Fisher movie showdown between ABC and <coughs> CBS. They each had their movie of the week. Uh, Amy Fisher movies that they competed against each other. Joey Badafuka over here. Remember that sketch on on, mm-hmm. on uh, what was it, in Living Color? She uh, is now a, a a pornography cam model. Really? Yeah. Shot a woman in the head. Survived the woman. Couldn't even do that mm-hmm. right. Couldn't even kill a woman. Right. <laughs> uh, Go on. Uh, late night with Conan O'Brien makes his debut. Um, which also, uh, it was a big late night swing in 93. Letterman. Letterman. Went and, to CBS. Uh, yes. Uh, Leno took over for? Carson. Carson. That's Johnny Carson, not Johnny Carson, Carson Daly. No. And um, what's his name? Tom Snyder didn't... When did he get hired? Or was he still always there? I don't... I couldn't tell you. Hmm. But I, they made a movie out of that with some guy, Daniel Roebuck, from our hometown. Mm-hmm. I know. He also uh, was then, the, uh, the scientist who blew up on Lost. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, thank God for 1993, because we got ESPN2. <laughs> because if what would I do if I can't watch billiard trick shot competition at 4 a.m.? I don't know how I'd get to sleep. Yeah, now there's like at least four ESPNs I don't watch. Including the first one. Yes, including the first one. Including the original. Uh, speaking of networks, uh, Food Network got its launch in 90. I remember watching it constantly. Yeah. And... Uh, Brittany, JT, and Christina Aguilera all joined the new Mickey Mouse Club back in 1993. M-I-C. See you real soon. Dr. Quinn's Medicine Woman got her license to practice. Uh, We got the Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, and uh, what was the other one? Sequest. Oh, Jonathan Uh, Brandis? Hmm? Was that the show with Jonathan Brandis? I don't know. It was on, it was Star Trek Underwater. Oh, was it? Yeah. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Mm. Team, I was he was on my short list. I was almost gonna talk about that, but how? Yes, Jonathan Brandis about... was on Sequest. Anyway, go on. 
How long could I talk about uh, jumping sidekicks through car windshields? Jonathan Brandis was in Sidekicks. Oh. That was him. All right. Oh, we came full circle there. Yeah. And tied in the to- Walker, Texas Ranger. Tied in the Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, Wienerville, which we uh, spoke of in a previous show, and Beavis and Butthead also make their debut. Mm-hmm. X-Files, Bill Nye, Legends of the Hidden Temple, Frasier, NYPD Blue, and Boy Meets World. That was a hell of a lineup to come out in 93. Yeah. And uh, also a book came out in 93 uh, called, entitled uh, Private Parts. Ah, oh, Howard Stern. I got a story about this book. So, I mean, Howard Stern, I still listen to every day. It's the only reason I pay for Sirius. Howard Stern is, I think he's huge around the world, but he was really big, always on the East Coast, the Northeast especially. Uh, Howard's career was basically made from D.C. to New York City, and he is an East Coast, if you would agree on this, an East Coast staple, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone has not only heard of Howard Stern, but either seen something he's done or listened to him at least some time in their life. And um, I know he's always been huge for me. But So there was this bookstore I think I've talked about it before. I might have even told kind of part of the story before. Uh, there was behind my house. Uh, right now there's some primo hoagie store where it used to be, but it used to be called Books and More, and it was a used bookstore. Do you ever, did you ever go there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the lady, I was in there all the fucking time, buying used Crichton books, buying used, you know, Stephen King's, anything I could get my hands on. You get a book for like two, three dollars. Pretty, she had pretty good deals. And you find a lot of weird, rare, old stuff. It was like I could spend, a, you know, a, from open to close in there. Just and she let me just perusing the stack shelves of of books and old weird stuff she had in there. And that that stuff like that should still exist. It's around us. It's not fair that it doesn't. But that's you know what eBay did. Any and you know just mm-hmm. information being online to begin with. But anyway. There was a copy of Private Parts. So I took it up to buy, and it was like $4 and change. She's like, should you be reading this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I watch this show all the time. My parents know. I shouldn't have been. <laughs> I was uh, 11 years old. or tw- I was probably 12 when I bought it. So I, I, of course I knew I shouldn't be reading it because I kept it hidden. And my sister, my sister had one of those plastic clubhouses that you kind of buy and just snap together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she never went in. And after like a week so i would just like hide it in a box in there and just go out there and read it and right like, next to the jc penny's magazine <laughs> with the corners folded over at certain pages right in the soft soap <laughs> old socks uh so yeah i would go out there and just read excerpts from it and like the lesbian dating game and uh, you know all sorts of things about how and my mom eventually found it and i don't know beat me with it no she didn't really beat me she just grounded me but yeah, Howard Stern's Private Parts, great, great book, great movie. I love Howard Stern. Still, the other day I was just thinking I was listening to him. Um, he, he just makes me laugh and smile every day. He's, he's still fun. He still has it. So after how fucking a billion years in the industry, the man still has it. Mm-hmm. Still relevant. Every time someone's on a show, it makes news. So, regardless, keep going. Uh, there's some in the music world. Uh, Meatloaf gave us the "I would do anything for love," but I won't do that. I was, but I won't do that. And it gave us that Beauty and the Beast crossover video, which I remember was e- an event. I came home from school, went right to that the babysitter's house where we'd go to, and they were all huddled, ready to go because this was going to debut. This was, video was going to drop at three thirty because they wanted to see 
this meatloaf video. And I remember watching, like, this is lame. And then, boom, like a motorcycle is breaking through chandeliers. I'm like, this is awesome. Right. Meatloaf's badass. He's a big, uh, fat bastard, but he's badass. He was in Fight Club, so fuck it. He's Bob the Big Moosey. He, he was in Spice World. So Was he? Yeah, he was a bus driver. Oh, I never saw it. Uh, Snow gave us Informer. Uh, UB40 had the... the Red Red Wine? Can't help, uh, can't help falling in love. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and Four Non Blondes, what up? What's up? What's, up? What's also, going uh, on? Yeah. Uh, now, the Cowboys beat the Bills. This is three now, okay? Next year would be the four. You can finally... Put the nail in the coffin of the Bills? Yes. Put them down. Uh, Those fucking Blue Jays beat the Phillies four games to two in the World Series. Fucking assholes home run. Yeah. Uh, The Bulls three-peat. Michael Jordan retires for a little bit. If he didn't retire, Uh, I think it was just a big setup and marketing scheme for Space Jam. I think so, yeah. Because they're like, hey, this plot says he retired. Can you retire? <laughs> All right. Sure. I always wanted to play baseball. Sure. <laughs> I want to ride on a shitty bus through the southeast. Um, Holyfield uh, defeated Riddick Bow. Uh, oh, and that was the fan man fight. Remember the fan man fight where the guy crashed into the uh, into the ring? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the Simpsons. Simpsons, yeah, Fan Man. And Mo, really Mo goes off and saves and saves the world. On fa- that's yeah. Fan Man. So, uh, yeah, actually, Holyfield was fighting Riddick Bowe, and this guy crashed into the ring ropes on the side into the crowd, and, like, all hell ensued. Mills Lane was the referee in that. Holy shit. Yes. Um, what else? Uh, Let's try and wrap this up. It's, uh, we don't have much yeah, show yeah. left. We're almost there. Jeff King won the Iditarod. I'm sure people care. Uh, Greg Norman won the British Open. Uh, Don't care. The first K1 fight in Japan. Don't care. Earnhardt wins uh, the Winston Cup. We also lost Davey Allison <coughs> and Alan Kowicki that year, uh, which I believe I spoke of in my sadness and desperation. And on November 12, 1993, Hoist Gracie tapped out Arch Himmer and Ken Shamrock and Gerard Gerdeau to become the first UFC ever champion in front of 7,800 fans in Denver. Huh. How about it? That was a, that was a big one for me. Yeah. Now, one last thing. Okay. In 1993, Vin Scully was replaced as the Dodgers' radio voice by one Scotty Smalls. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. I didn't even think of that. I... I What's that? You're cutting out. The other, I was watching, and I'm like, you can't have him be the voice of the Dodgers. Was he the voice of the Dodgers? I thought he was just covering the game. No, he was. He was the radio guy. He was doing. He was doing play-by-play. Huh. When when the Jets steals home. Huh. Yeah, he, he was Dodgers radio. I'm like, all right. Well, you're creating some weird I'm sorry you can suspend disbelief all you want but you don't get rid of Vince Scully in my movies no you usually shouldn't I'm done okay well we should start with our first pick now that the show's almost over what do you think hang on I gotta see if I have to go to work yet nope I got 12 hours okay
feeling we're not in Brooklyn no more. They're brothers. They're plumbers. Oh no. Luigi! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite. It's incredible! That gives anyone who possesses it the power to rule the universe. Now, we've all talked about how bad movie trailers are, so I'm not going to make anyone suffer through this. If you suffer through the movie, that's bad enough. <sighs> so, this was the Super Mario Brothers movie, and you've seen this, right? Oh, yeah. So, I don't, I'm not going to go into that, that deep of, of, uh, of how this shit, whole shit show... I actually enjoy the movie. <laughs> you can watch it for free. It's on YouTube in its entirety. <laughs> Now, there's a channel on YouTube we talked about before, The Gaming Historian, and he does a full episode telling you everything that like went on with this, this movie and how it got to where it was. But it was really weird. It was two brothers, which one was um, Eddie Valiant from Roger Rabbit, and the other was John <laughs> Leguizamo. Well, Bob Hoskins has said this is the worst film he ever made, but his son Jack is a fan of it, praising his dad's performance. He said that he's too young to understand the poor reviews and now that he's old enough, he doesn't care. He quoted, he's quoted on the film fan website, SMB Archive. If there's anyone reading this, please understand that there's, it's no one's intention to ruin the classics. One last thing. If you remember your past enjoyments, then it would definitely keep your childhood memories alive and safely locked in your head forever. Hmm. Uh, in his 2007 autobiography, John Leguizamo states that he and Bob Hoskins hated working on the film and would frequently get drunk to make it through the experience. <laughs> Both men apparently knew the movie would turn out bad, so they simply tried to make the best of it. He also stated that he felt one of the biggest reasons the movie turned out the way it did was because the directors wanted a more adult movie while the studio, considering the source material, was looking for a children's film. Yeah, I see that. You can see it be you can well, you can watch it being pulled in those two directions. Right. You know, Tom Hanks was supposed to be uh, Mario. At yeah. Point. Yeah, but he they didn't think he was a big enough star. Yeah, do you, I really think he should be as gr grateful as can be that it didn't happen. This right. could have killed him. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, Bob Hoskins, you know, shit happens. He didn't care. But you have a guy that was trying to be serious. You think he's going to get uh, uh, Forrest Gump after... Well, didn't he this? make Philadelphia the same year and became a superstar? Yes. Yeah. Well, an article in Spy Magazine claimed that the script was being rewritten so many times during production, the actors stopped paying attention to the daily rewrites. <laughs> One version of the script contained a cameo for Bruce Willis, where he tunneled through the air ducts of King Koopa's castle in the spoof of his role of Die Hard. Can you believe that? So they were just, basically, they were going to just throw, like, a Wayne's Brothers movie right into the middle of their movie. <laughs> yep. After the film bombed at the box office, Nintendo never produced any more live-action theatrical films based on their franchise. A Metroid film was put into development, but never went past pre-production. I was just going to say, we're at the point in time now um, with the way you know what Marvel does with their thing in the DC universe. We have the technology. You have the people that can write it. I want a Metroid movie. And then... Is you do a uh, Zelda movie, you do another Mario movie, and then Super Smash Brothers is the Avengers. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, Dennis Hopper here explains why he did the film. I made a picture called Super Mario Brothers, and my six-year-old son at the time, he's now 18, said, 
Dad, I think, you I think you're probably a pretty good actor, but why did you play the terrible guy King Koopa in Super Mario Brothers? And I said, well, Henry, I did that so you could have shoes. <laughs> Henry replied, Dad, I don't need shoes that badly. <laughs> Uh, according to in John Leguizamo's autobiography, Rocky Morton once poured hot coffee on an extra's head because he didn't like the extra's costume. Uh, I don't even know what else to say except... In a 2011 interview with The Guardian, Bob Hoskins described the film's production, it was a fucking nightmare. The whole experience was a nightmare. It had a husband and wife directing team whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent. After so many weeks, their own agent told them to get off the set. Fucking nightmare. Fucking idiots. Wow. And he's generally known as a rather nice guy in the industry. Yeah. Well, it was. Was, yes. Uh, Dev Dennis Hopper described the film's production. It was a nightmare. Very honestly, that movie, it was a husband and wife directing team who were both control freaks and wouldn't talk before they made decisions. Anyway, I suppose... I suppose... I was supposed to go down there for five weeks, and I was there for 17. It was so over budget. 17 weeks to shoot this thing? Jesus, yeah. Well, he said he was there for 17 weeks. Okay. Both John Liguizamo and Bob Hoskins admitted it was the biggest regret of their career. Uh, I, I, I wish there was like a, you know, talk about uh, Dennis Hopper and Apocalypse Now and like, you know, all Heart of Darkness documentary. I would love to see like the Super Mario Brothers Heart of Darkness down the drain pipe or something we can call it. Now the closest you'll get to it is the like I said, the gaming historian video. Check it out when you get a chance. It's not long. It's good. Should we just finish the podcast out by letting us music play? This is like a sorbet after the last pick. <laughs> Cleanse our palate. We went from a really horrible movie with no direction to a fantastic movie with, at the time, the greatest director in the world. June 11th, 1993. I remember that summer. Yeah. So uh, the whole pick on Jurassic Park here, uh, it's... The, the thing is, I don't have... We've talked ad nauseum about this, and I can go into further detail about Jurassic Park down the road. Right. But there's something about... I'm using this to talk about my... The weirdness that uh, that is the squeezer. So, like, do you have, like, like a, a summer in mind, like, when you think that is the summer? Yeah, summer of 93, Jurassic Park. That's yours, too? One of them, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I like would say head, 92, 93, 94 mm -hmm. were the three yeah. of the best. Yeah. So, like, to me, like, 93, that's, that's my, my summer. And when I like to, in my head, create my infographic of my life and, in retrospect, look back, uh, 93 is that real bright, colorful one that you see on the front page of, like, USA Today. Right. So, I remember just 
the hype around this. Couldn't wait for Jurassic Park to come out. And uh, I think I, yeah, I said I saw it at Chank while I was driving. I actually, I remember vividly, was there. Best friend Stefan. Our sisters are there. Terrified to watch this movie. In the back of my dad's 1988 Bronco 2 watching Jurassic Park. I was actually in contact with the theater. I emailed him. And uh, I was looking to find out what movie was paired with this. Because, you know, it's a drive-in, so they do a double feature. Uh, and they got back to me. Unfortunately, they are doing some, they're doing some construction, so all those records are kind of in storage right now. But they will get back to me. Because I, I, I'm trying to piece all of this together. Because so it was such an important moment. Like, this is, this is the moment. Like, the crowning... This is the peak. The, I peaked. On June 11th, 1993, I peaked at life. All right. I, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was my buddy, Madan Street Matt. His dad took us to the Tillman 8, which is down the street. We talk about it all the time. It was an uh, afternoon, and it's the scene in the kitchen scared the bejesus out of me. But I loved yes. it. Yes. Um, I, I, I... You what? Squeeze. We lost you. Arnold's arm... Hold on. Oh, no. Hello? A after I. Oh. I said the I scene in the kitchen. Oh, you, you, pissed your, you may have pissed yourself? I may have messed myself. Oh, shit no. yourself. Um, <laughs> yes, shit myself. I was trying to... Um, the, uh, in the utility, in the uh, utility shed. When it pops out through the cables, and ah. scares the shit out of that. I lost, Mr. Hammond. I think we're back in business. That was I jumped. Mm. Um, yeah, that but was... now that I think about it, and I'm because I was going back and forth, I was trying to piece what movie um, paired with it. It might have been Super Mario Brothers. Really? Because it, Super Mario Brothers came out in May. Yeah, but would they keep so, it? I don't think it was in the. the box office that long yes but this is a drive-in yeah that's true so and this is a big feature so maybe they throw something a little cheaper on or who knows if they even charge them to put super mario brothers on in front of this thing but uh it might have been that i'm also tossing sandlot in there as a possibility anywho um but yeah i just i i couldn't talk 1993 just out without playing that music and talking about the importance that is this movie, the what it did for me, as far as my interest in science, my interest in not just my interest in like in dinosaurs and movies, but movie making, like this, like inspired. Oh, me absolutely! To, like, this is like wow. What, what on every level? Can they do this? Like, yes. Like when you showed me that this could be done, you know. But they, they said he'd get back to me, so. Or maybe it's just an excuse for me to go there myself and see what's in. I'll just go play on the playground up front and front below right. the uh, right. below the big screen. Should we just have a you know, double date? We'll let our your wife and my girlfriend hang out while you and I have a date. <laughs> well, they can go watch the movie and we'll go play on the swings. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I mean. Uh, Steven Spielberg left production of post-production of work of of uh, Jurassic Park in the hands of the at the time talented hands of George Lucas while he went to do Schindler's List. All right, well that's Jurassic Park. We were now my second pick. 
even though we're like we've been doing this for three hours. Texas, we have been watching as they have sent vehicles in to ram holes in the compound and send tear gas in. CNN's Bonnie Anderson joins us now here in Atlanta. Bonnie, were there any indications that this D-Day was coming? In other words, that this would be a certain date after which they had not surrendered, that the FBI agents would move in? Well, what I can say is that for quite some time, uh, federal officials have been ready to go, and we know of at least two other occasions where the day was set with absolute certainty. The last time was last Wednesday. All federal officials, all federal agents on the ground were put on full alert. Uh, they were told to come in. Their rotation of shifts stopped, and at the last minute, uh, the the raid was canceled. We are told that 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 uh, officials in Waco simply did not have the go-ahead from Washington and specifically from the White House. Uh, Squeezer, do you know what happened? What was happening on April 19th, 1993? I, I do, vividly. I remember being glued to TV. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop. How did you know that I was down visiting my grandparents in Florida um, before going to Disney World? Oh, I was... Uh, Clairvoyant? No, you're right. What? This was the Waco siege. Yeah, I, I, w I was more surprised that this is even... Th this sounded, I'm listening to this, I'm like, wow, this sounds like one of my picks. <laughs> Yes, it is like one of your picks. I was, I, I almost did. It was on the short list, but then I'm like, you know what? Ryan's going to yell at me because I'm so dark and sad. Well, here's a funny story for you. Now, a little background oh, okay. on the Waco it's siege. 80 dead in a fire. Let's hear a funny story. <laughs> well, 80 dead in the fire, who probably would have been dead at the hands of David Koresh. Not anyway, sure. David Koresh was not born David Koresh. He was born Vernon Wayne Howell, 1959. He was an American leader of the Branch Davidians religious sect, believing himself to be its final prophet. Uh, he was a crazy person who would marry a bunch of the women who were already married or single in his sect, have sex with 12-year-olds, who he said he was in a spiritual marriage with them. He was in the arms dealing. He would take AR-15s, semi-automatic rifles, and modify them to be fully automatic. He was a crazy person <laughs> uh, who was raised in all these weird Southern Baptists and Southern Seven-Day Adventist churches. And he joined, he, in 1982, he moved to Waco, Texas. He joined the Branch Davidians. Um, a man named Ben Roden was in, uh, originated the group. And Roden stuttered under Victor Howtiff until his death, whoever the fuck that is. So, <clears throat> Koresh also, much like another psychopath, Charles Manson, tried pursuing his own record company, but failed from lack of funds and, and support or talent. <laughs> uh, he ascended to the leader uh, by claiming to be a prophet. Um, he Are you doing the Apostles' Creed now? <laughs> he had a sexual relationship with Lu Lu uh, Louise Rodin. And who was 65 years old. Ew. Yeah. Eventually claiming that God had chosen him to father a child with her, who would be the chosen one. Uh, then they, I don't know. It was, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time. But the gun running, the sex, the crazy methamphetamine laboratory, <laughs> uh, caused for the ATF to come in and, 
shut this thing down. They tried in February of 93. They, were, they rented a house across the street from the compound and claimed to be college students, but they were dimed out immediately. I mean, they, were, they couldn't have been bigger narcs. Uh, it was like Homer buying the Rastafarian hat, uh, Homer Palooza. <laughs> and David Koresh uh, eventually was... The stor- Janet Reno came in, stormed, and burned the place down and killed everybody inside. But they weren't sure if they got David Koresh. So I was down in Florida, and my grandparents were watching this news like religiously. And I was scared to fuck. I didn't know where, how far Waco, Texas was from Florida. They said he could be on the run. He could be anywhere. I was like, he's going to come here, and he's going to fucking kill me. I'm not going to make it to Disney World, even though I hated Disney World. <laughs> I was so afraid of David Koresh. Squeezer. Of coming to Florida to get you. Coming to Florida to get me and kill me. I was in the, in the driveway drinking my uh, crocodile, uh, crocodile red Kool-Aid burst. Uh. And just fucking... My, my grandparents were like, well, my grandfather was great. My grandmother is, she's, a, she's now a 96-year-old diva still, but she was, you know, kind of a bitch. <laughs> and my sister spilled like, she would always yell at my sister not to play with the bubbles on the concrete because old people have nothing else to worry about than to worry, you know, about trivial mm-hmm. matters. And my sister spilled like a whole fucking thing of bubbles on the thing. And she's like, comes to me, she's like, Ryan. I'm lightly enjoying a ice cold rocket aisle red. She's like, I spilled I spilled bubbles on the concrete. I gotta run I gotta run away. I gotta go on the lamb. I'm like, you can't go on the lamb, Lisa. David Koresh is on the lamb. <laughs> it's not a safe time to be on the lamb. So it's like when you're on the lamb, it's all one place. It's Could be the lamb <laughs> yeah. that you go to. Right. Call me mint jelly, because I'm on the lamb. Abe Simpson. Anyway, yeah, that's my story of Waco, Texas. <laughs> Stupid and adorable. And we now move on to Squeezer's second pick. And that was the Vienna Wood Dancing Bee, one of my all-time favorites. And now let's make that random call with today's $10,000 question. It's a tough one. Who shot Alexander Hamilton in that famous duel? All right, let's go to the phones and see who's out there. Hello? Hello, for $10,000, who should... Excuse me? I'm afraid your time is almost up. I'm sorry, maybe next time. Aaron Burr. I mean, it's funny. We were just talking about milk and peanut butter at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I find it hard to believe that this was 24 years ago. I feel like this commercial, like, I mean, like it's been, like it feels like it's been <coughs> around forever, but like it still feels fresh in my mind. Like right. it still runs. She has a mouthful of peanut butter, right? And that's why she yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a. Uh, or she a took historian. a bite of a peanut butter sandwich or something. Hmm? Does she take a bite of a peanut butter sandwich? Oh, it's a guy. Yeah, uh, he yeah he makes a, a a peanut butter sandwich in his museum dedicated to Alexander Hamilton and <laughs> the duel between him and Aaron Burr, and uh, he gets the phone call and he can't answer it. And then he goes to pour a glass of milk. He's out of milk, and 
doesn't get his 10 grand. This is before we realized the benefits of drinking water. It, you could have very much drank anything, <laughs> yes. Um, but, well, it was produced by the California Milk Processing Board. Ah. Um, and then eventually it was licensed out to the rest of the dairy farmer associations across the country and the whole Got Milk campaign. And uh, then the whole mustache thing didn't, the milk mustache ads didn't start running until uh, 95. Do you know who directed this fine piece of work? You would never guess it because you're not throwing up from motion sickness and nothing either exploded and Michael transformed. Michael Bay. Michael Bay directed this fine piece. Uh, and then I'm assuming this this then got him bad boys. How about that? Um, it was uh, the ad agency. The guy, one of the uh, Rich Silverstein, who ran the ad agency. Uh, this the whole gut milk thing almost didn't happen because um, quote it's clunky. It's not even English. He didn't even want to go with it. <laughs> and then eventually uh, he was quoted as saying it worked. Oh well, it apparently did. got milk. Apparently got milk. What? Um, it caught on. It caught on. I think it's still uh, until two thousand. Well, no, two thousand fourteen. They dropped it uh. for milk life. Really? Yeah. That did not catch but on. Does, no, it did not catch on. Yeah, it did not catch on. Milk life is not a thing. People still say got milk. They do. It's, it's parodied. Right. And they've licensed this thing and they made a fortune off it. And some of the other commercials are also like in the whole Got Milk campaign are some of the greats. Like there were Super Bowl ads, like the one with the rock with the aliens. He had to go and get milk for his kids and he's, you know, passing by aliens, bank robbers and exploding shit just to get milk for his kids. Um, there's the one with the. Remember the businessman fighting his way through the crowd in New York and then gets hit by a, a truck and he thinks he's in heaven because it's like full of like cookies and cake. And then he realizes like there's no milk. No milk. And then it says got milk, but then it's in little flames implying that this gentleman is now in hell. Yeah. Uh, they did the Oreo crossover where uh, the guy, uh, they're asking what to name this cookie <coughs> and he's holding up an Oreo and he's out of milk. And he goes, whoa. And that's where the name Oreo comes from, I guess. <laughs> uh, Selma Hayek did one. She did, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Mario. Mario also appeared in I uh, Got Milk. Remember, there's the interrogation scene. It was like a police interrogation. Again, they gave him like... I, I guess it is a horrible fate to have, to be eating, you know, some type of... Uh, cookie-like substance and not have a glass of milk, I would definitely turn over uh, and give myself up to the cops if it came down to that. Hmm. And uh, remember, and then there was the tricks one, too. Do you remember the tricks one? No. Uh, Harlan Williams, he goes and he's buying up all these, uh, all the cereal. And uh, he buys a box of tricks, and the lady even like at the counter, she's like, yeah, you know, tricks are for kids, right? And he gets, he's like, yeah, yeah. He gets there and he pours the tricks in the bowl, and he's all excited. And then he unzips himself, and it happens to be the tricks rabbit. Oh, really? And he's like, I finally got my tricks. And he reaches for the milk, and pours it, and he's out of milk. Oh. Yeah. So there's a they did a ton of cross promotion with this too, and it's a fucking milk ad. 
But to me, the original uh, Aaron Burr, Alexander Hamilton peanut butter one from 93, like, it's still, it's still fresh in my mind. I still feel like this run, like, it runs. Right. Or maybe it's just the whole Hamilton thing being a hit and shit like that, which I think that inspired the entire, you know, inspired Broadway. <laughs> it was a milk ad. All right, that was a that was a thing recently on Broadway, wasn't it? I don't know much about that Broadway. All right, well, um, it's kind of like a movie, only like all at once and like live. I hear. Well, when you watch a movie, it like, happens all at once. Yeah, but like it's they all do they do it all at once. Uh, it's kind of like doing a movie, but there's no editing. Cool. All right, let's uh let's go to my next fun filled pick. It's time for animaniacs. And we're saying it to the max. So just sit back and relax. You'll laugh at the max. We're animaniacs. Come join the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister Dot. Just for fun, we run around the Warner movie lot. And they lock us in the tower whenever we get caught. But we break loose and then the moose, and now you know the plot. We're animaniacs. Dot is cute. Were you a fan of Animaniacs, Squeezer? Oh, love this show. So, I mean, this, this show was fantastic. It was very adult for what they were going for. came out in 93, created by Tom Ruger. It was produced by Amblin Entertainment with Steven Spielberg in association with Warner Brothers, obviously, because they were the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister Dot. Um, it was during the animation renaissance, they would say, of the 80s and 90s. You know, uh, um, if you listen to Paul Dini... <clears throat> On Fat Man and Batman, he talks about this because Paul Dini worked for um, those shitty filmation cartoons. It was first up like He-Man and the Super Friends and all those. Those are the 80s, 70s and 80s just churning out cartoons, not worrying about uh, the quality or whatnot. And then there was kind of a resurgence that came with Tiny Toons and Batman the Animated Series and then Fox Kids and then what would lead to uh, Nicktoons and then... ABC one Saturday morning, but uh, Animaniacs was right there on the front line of this. Uh, yeah, well, all the all those titles you just mentioned weren't created to sell action figures. <laughs> right, exactly. Even Batman animated series, they made that just because they love fucking bat- telling Batman stories, and mm-hmm. it was a fantastic device for doing such. Now, uh, it, Animaniacs wasn't just about. Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. There was a whole crazy cast of characters. Uh, there was, you know, of course, the Hello Nurse was a running gag, but Pinky and the Brain mm-hmm. had their had their skit. Uh, Slappy the Squirrel uh, had it with her nephew Skippy. 
Uh, additional characters were Rita and oh, Ron. I forgot all about Slappy and Skippy. Buttons and Mindy, Chicken Boo, Flavio and Marta, the hip hippos, mm -hmm. Katie Kaboom, and the trio of pigeons known as the Good Feathers, who are based on, on 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 the Goodfellas, uh, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, and um, uh, Bob De Niro. That was probably my favorite out of all of the. Uh... I always I, got excited when a good feathers. I uh, like good feathers. I was always a fan of when there was just the Yakko, Wacko, and Dot skits, just cartoons. There was one I can remember where with Michael Keaton checking his Batman came in and he pulls Zellin zips his suit and Michael Keaton's in the tuxedo and he leaves his Batman suit mm -hmm. in the coat shack. So yeah, they, they really harken back to the old days of Looney Tunes and like the adult humor and the jokes, you know. That went over kids' heads, but were there for a reason, uh, like the Te Chuck Jones and Tex Avery creations. But yeah, that's Animaniacs was fantastic and had a, had a nice run on Fox Kids, and then went on to the the fledging WB network. It was originally supposed to be three ducks, not three dogs, like uh, Pucky. Like Plucky? Yeah. But, um... That would be too, um... I, there's something about the the ducks, they're all... They, like, if you're a duck, you have to be a dick in the in the Looney Tunes world, you know? Well, they were dicks. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Animaniacs were dicks. But but in, in that kind of self-interest... They were fun uh, dicks, so you had to like them. Like, the ducks they, they were, were, like, were the bad dicks. guys. And, and they were dicks in a naive kind of way. Right. During its run, Animaniacs became the second most popular children's show in both demographics, children's age 2 to 11 and ages 6 to 11, behind Power Rangers. Animaniacs, along with other animated series, helped to bring Fox Kids' ratings much larger than their channel's competitors. It's what probably prompted WB to say, fuck, let's launch a channel. In November of 93, Animaniacs and Tiny Toons almost doubled the ratings of their rival shows, Darkwing Duck and Goof Troop. <clears throat> On Kids WB, Animaniacs gathered around 1 million children viewers every week. While Animaniacs is <laughs> popular among younger viewers, adults also responded positively to the show. In 1995, more than one-fifth of the weekday uh, showings and Saturday morning audience were 25 years or older. The large adult fan base even led one of the, most, uh, one of the first internet-based fandom cultures. During the show's prime, the internet news group alt.tv.animaniacs was an active gathering place for fans of the show to post reference guides, fan fiction, and fan-made artwork about the Animaniacs. The online popularity of the show did not go unnoticed by the show's producer, and 20 of the most active participants on the news group were invited to Warner Brothers Animation for a gathering in August 1995, dubbed by those Animania 4. So that's Animaniacs. It's good stuff. They uh, always made you laugh. And I, I would love to go back and check them out and rewatch them, you know. They, uh, I was going to say I would do the same thing, but then you're going to scold me and tell me I already have too much on my, uh, right. too much on my I list. I think the show is on Netflix. Uh, Warner Brothers talked about Developing a reboot, or just you know bringing it back. Think it's appropriate for a sixteen-month-old? Oh well, for sure. All right, 
I'm in. I've watched every episode of Sesame Street from now and back to 1992. So, well, something else. How about your next pick? We'll go go with that. Computer subspace transmission to Starfleet Command from Enterprise. Stardate 45481.4. It's a single blast. Source unknown. Lieutenant Worf checks weapon systems. Captain Picard orders full shields from Lieutenant LaForge in engineering. Suddenly there is an alien presence on the ship. It's one of the Borg, a hostile robotic life form. Commander Riker returns phaser fire. Star Trek, the next generation action figures from Playmates. That was an action figure commercial? Yeah. Yeah. Please Fuck. Do me a favor. I'm, I'm gonna I was gonna tell you this. Check this commercial out. It's ridiculous. Alright, everyone, you can go and just uh, go on Netflix or on, uh, what's that thing YouTube. called? YouTube. Go on the YouTubes and uh, just look for Star Trek Playmates commercials. And uh, there's a couple out there. They have some for, like, the vehicles and shit. But this one is specifically for the figures. And it's so ridiculous because you you can almost see, like, they try to, to stage it in a way that they make it look like the show where you don't see that there someone is manipulating the toys but it's obvious like it's like when you're a kid and you're trying to make a movie wait were these the uh, next generation toys yes next generation all right this this is the original yeah they they made a batch of originals after the uh this series actually was fairly successful which these started in 92 uh when the first run of these came out and in 93 they expanded the line uh, came out with uh, some vehicles and play sets like the bridge and engineering, which I had engineering, and then they had this transporter, which was awesome. You wanted it so bad, and it was used. It was like a. It was actually pretty big for just being what it was. Why did Siri just all of a sudden decide she wants to? What did I say that sounded like "Hey Siri"? Damn it! I did it again. Hold on, I'm watching this commercial. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it is weird. <laughs> Why is that robot voice talking the whole time? That's the that's the Bridges computer. Oh, see, I never watched Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to lose a few fans here, but um, <clears throat> it was always on so, Saturday afternoons. But so um, I occasionally, oh, anyway, the, the the transporter using mirrors and lights and with the controls, you would it would spin the guy around and make it look like they would, you know, transport and dissolve in front of you it was actually a pretty cool toy set um so christmas i want to say christmas in 93 um so i occasionally checked in with star trek every now and then i wasn't like into it weekly but i was a big star wars fan now this is before the uh force awakens figures and all the big star wars launches but i would go to the library and rent the vhs tapes of star wars and watch them ad nauseum. And the it was the condition of these tapes was awful because they're from the library. So I would just be riding the tracking the entire time just <laughs> so it was somewhat visible. But my mom knew I loved Star Wars, so she decided I'm going to go buy him some star toys. So these star people and their spaceships... Um, came to me one Christmas, and I got all these Star Trek toys. And I'm a, I'm a sweet kid, so I was very, very happy and very like, thank you, Mom, this is wonderful. Although I did just call her out on it over the weekend, despite the fact that she 
let me stay in her home with my wonderful family and watch my daughter while we were at that wedding, um, I made sure to berate her for her confusion, despite the fact that she spent her hard-earned money on her son. I wanted her to make sure that uh, she screwed up big. However, these were fun. I played the shit out of these things. They were actually really good quality. Well, it's Playmates. I mean, they made Ninja Turtles. Um, I actually, and then on my way home today... They also made I, the Dick Tracy figures. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There's something about the, the plastic and, like, the heft. There was always a weight to them. Like, the, <coughs> they were a dense figure, and I like the joint manipulation and stuff on them. I found this gem. Oh, you have one still? Can you see him? Yeah, no, I picked it up. I we were uh, on the way home, and uh, the flea market by my house was going on. It was packed, and the kid was asleep in the back. So my wife's like, mm, "You know what? Go in, run in, see what's going on. Let her get some extra sleep. We're almost home." So I was just walking around, just seeing what other you know little loose stuff I can pick up for fifty cents here, a buck there, just so I could fill the set once it's eventually done. I swear it's coming along. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was absolutely nothing there. Everything was just junk, and I don't know why I need so many different um, magazines for a handgun. But uh, one guy was selling uh, a bunch of he had some Star Wars and Star Trek action figures, some in uh, on the table and some in a, in boxes behind the counter. And I'm, I'm looking through and I'm curious. I'm like, this is awesome because I know I'm talking about this, mm-hmm. and like I'm talking about it today. I'm going to go get one. And he had a ton of these from 93. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I wonder if he has one specific one from 92. And he did. And I, I even asked him. And he found it. And I found a Jordy LaForge from 92 with the visor that can be removed. Ooh. Because the 92 series, Jordy, you could take the visor off. And then they discontinued that and made it a fixture because... Was that LeVar Burton? Was, yeah, LeVar Burton. Yeah. Um, because it was a choking hazard. Despite the fact that everything else is pretty damn small, this is just a little bit smaller than maybe the tricorder. What'd that guy run um, ya? What, for the figure? Yeah. It was four bucks. <laughs> on, well, it, was on four, card? it was four bucks for all of them. And then I go, do you have a 92 Geordie? And he's like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, that's the one where the, the, the visor comes off. I'm like, ah, shit, he's going to know that it's a little different and a slightly harder to find, and he's going to... You know, jack up the price on me, but eh, four bucks. I can turn around and make six bucks on eBay, maybe. <laughs> um, That's a profit. But but these figures are pretty cool. Um, I was gonna say, remember like what we used to do with uh, we talked about the Ghostbuster figures and how we would snip the um, yes the stream yes. off the proton packs. Yes. Well, if you see here, let's see if I can hold it up for you so you could see. Got him. Yeah. The, the phaser, and it has, like, the stream coming oh, out of it. No so, way. basically, it's like a lightsaber yeah. instead. So, yeah, I would snip all of those off because I'm like, I don't... I can use my imagination. I don't need the little beam of light. Right. Stay, uh, those always drove me nuts. But he comes with... Let's see. We got Lieutenant Commander Jordi LaForge, Chief Engineer of the Starship Interf- Enterprise. And he comes with his base with a sticker, which is not squared on there at all. Whoever put that on... Um, their little fingers, they must have been sore. They must have come right from the soccer ball factory. Um, we got a, a, a Type 2 hand phaser, a tricorder with a holster, um, an engineering bag, uh, some 
uh, dilithium crystals, and those then you could put in the engineering, um, in the core, in the engineering playset, and uh, some away team gear and some tools. And then the back's kind of cool too, because yeah, you get all your. All oh, you get a little card to cut out. The line, yeah, you get your card cut out, and uh, also description of all the gear, like a breakdown of everything like, comes with of equipment does, which is kind of cool. Huh. Um, the card cut out. Here's what I love about it, because we're it's like you know, multiple millennia in the future, but this is still the Starfleet personal record database printout. So we still have printouts um, in the future in 1992. Damn paper lobby. It's still there. There's just this banker box. Half, half of the Enterprise is just box stacks and stacks of banker boxes. Because yeah, right. they still keep everything on record. Oh, well, that's a good pick. Well, more from Squeezer's mom and more episodes. But now <laughs> we move on to my next pick. Things aren't always what they seem. Take Hidden Treasure Cereal. Every square looks the same. Sweet. Crunchy. Right? But certain ones have the taste of fierce, fruity frosty inside. Some got it. Some don't. Some last ya. Some won't. How do you know which is which? Research. Part of this balanced breakfast. Hidden Treasures. The cereal that's more than it seems. So, back in 1993, General Mills released two new cereals. Sprinkle Spangles was one of them. And what the hell is that? There were like these little stars with sprinkles on them and had a genie, uh, the Sprinkle Genie. <laughs> uh, they were horrible. Um, but the Hidden Treasures weren't too bad. They didn't last long. So they were almost like little Captain Crunches. They all were supposed to look the same, but some were meant to be filled with uh, fruit icing. There was cherry, orange, and grape icing in some of them. And to emphasize the whole treasure hunt dynamic, some pieces had no icing filling. They were just hollow. But because, you know, processing food... There's a you know they they need a way to make them all and you are you portable if you're clever enough you would have no difficulty seeing that there was a pattern pieces with a seam very close to the edge were grape off center were orange and directly center were cherry and you know you could easily tell the ones with none in it so yeah it was it was, was there a reason behind that like in in the pro like you would think that each one could just be injected the same way or. Um, I don't... Maybe it was a way that they knew, or I don't know. Hmm. It was a short-lived... I, I remember eating these dry. Okay. I don't, I don't think I ever had them with, like, in milk. We had them. They were okay. But they weren't... They didn't taste that great. And there's a reason why there's certain cereals that have lasted forever, and some that come and go, because, you know... I'm sure there's a group out there fighting for hidden treasures to come back. But I'm not part of that group. I just remember them being... Same with Sprinkle Spangles. The two of them were just... Eh, it's just okay. Sprinkle Spangles. Sprinkle Spangles. You know, there's a reason why... <clears throat> Fruity Pebbles have been around forever. There's a reason why... Fruit Loops and Captain Crunch and... No, I don't... know. Now, here. I love my 
Captain Crunch. I don't eat much cereal, but if I'm going to have cereal, I'm going to have Captain Crunch. There's no good reason that still exists. It's delicious. The there are masochists in this world that love to just basically slash the roofs of their mouths. Yeah, it still so tastes go good. for the Captain Crunch. Oh, yeah, and it does taste amazing. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. So, yeah. that right now. That's, uh, that's my cereal pick, even though you're not a cereal guy. I just had to throw that out there. <coughs> what do you got next for us there, Squeeze? I remember that theme. Remember that? Yes. Well, on January 11th of 93, that was the first time you heard that. And That's when they launched? It to Monday Night Raw. Replaced primetime wrestling. Yes. Um, replaced, th this was the beginning. I like, you know, they, WrestleMania is kind of a big deal and important, kind of broke the mold and, uh, you know, the way Vince started consolidating power and taking over. But Raw was really, like, that was the silver bullet. Raw gave you pretty much pay-per-views every Monday night, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so what happened was the previous show... Um, primetime wrestling. And, uh, prime, well, primetime and also, like, even, like, some of the Saturday night shows. Any wrestling show you watch prior to Monday Night Raw um, was just a collection of house shows. Like, so they would set up and tour and do the house shows like you'd always do. And they would record some of them. And then they would edit together a couple shows. And a lot of jobbers. Edit. Yeah. They were pretty much all squash matches. Because you wouldn't show your big talent until, like, the big events. Right. Um, and uh, then they would also cut in, like, in-studio session stuff, like a uh, talk show style. Um with your with your announcers and your hosts and uh all your backstage uh bits and uh and 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 shoots and stuff like that were all everything was posted in raw was the first time that this was going to be done live or live to tape right they record room at the manhattan center wait say that again you broke up there buddy uh, they the first one was live, but then they would also do a number. Initially, they not every RAW was live to start. They did a lot of uh, like live to tape, which you would basically do the show as if it were live and just record it and then play it back at a later time. Right. Um, so they would do like a couple at a time for budgetary reasons until it just blew up, and then then they went on tour nationally and did a weekly show. Yeah, primetime uh, was only done from their flagship arenas, which was like MSG, uh, the Maple Leafs in Toronto, the Spectrum in Philly, and the Capitol Center, and the Boston Garden. So they just basically toured the Northeast mm -hmm. for, because they're you know based out of Connecticut, yeah, and they that's where they would film. Because um, I remember Dave told me that he's like, that's how you worked. They they only hired guys from the East Coast because all the work for shooting and if it wasn't a pay per view, it was on the East Coast. And there Still was also got to get that guy in. Now that he's retired, he's got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, talk about wrestling stories. You got to get him to like think about him ahead of time, so he's just not riffing. Yeah. 
Um, so your announcers for this, because now now you have uh, your live announcers like you would for a pay per view. It was Vince McMahon, Macho Man, and they brought in a guy from New York named Rob Bartlett. Okay. Do you know who Rob Bartlett is? No. He's a producer for Imus. Oh really? Yeah. And he Howard had, Stern enemy. Yeah, he was a producer for Imus, and he's a local radio guy out of New York. He was, you know, he was still big at the time there. But he had no idea about any wrestling. He was not a wrestling guy. Um, uh, the big bit that ran throughout the show was uh, Bobby Heenan wanted to go, wanted to get in, but he was banned from going in, and they were already sold out, so he couldn't get a ticket. So that's the open is him being locked out. But then he tries to sneak in throughout the rest of the night, one dressed up as an old lady and another time as a Hasidic Jew. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, it worked then. They probably would have done it and then been even more offensive in the, during the Attitude Era, but now you would never even try to probably even... I don't think they would even try to do that because someone would get upset over it. Is Raw um, still three hours and on USA? Yeah, it's three exhausting hours. And it's on uh, USA tried, Network, though, right? Yeah, it's on USA again. It went back and forth. It was USA, then uh, TNN, and then... Um, TNN uh, became Spike. Spike. And then now it's back on USA. I tried watching the other day. I watched like, for an hour straight. I'm like, all right, let's see. I just, every now and then, I like to keep up. And after that hour of not seeing The Ring once, not even like an in-ring promo, but not even The Ring, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> I just had to tap out. Um, and then at the end of the show, finally, uh, they allow, like, they're like, all right, fine, Bobby, you can go in. And he gets all excited, and then he goes in. But at that point, the show had already ended. But he didn't know that. Um, the card. Now, we talked about it being jobbers. Right. This is, this is the card for Monday Night Raw. Yokozuna defeats Coco Beware. Um... The Steiner brothers defeat the Executioners. One of the Executioners would later go on to uh, be Gilberg. Remember Gilberg? Right. The scrawny guy that was kind of a mock of Goldberg. Right. In the uh, WF. Um, HBK defended his IC title against Max Moon. Who uh, Max Moon was? It was I think he was local out of New York, but he had like the whole blue jumpsuit with like all kinds of neon. And who is this? Max Moon. Mm. Uh, he later he his though you would know him as Conan from WCW. Mm. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, Puerto Rican guy. Yeah yeah. It was like yeah. the uh, yeah. That was his gimmick. Uh, and uh, then uh, Taker defeated uh, Damian Demento in the <coughs> main event. Huh. Which Conan uh, Demento claims that he never jobbed anyone. Taker quashed him in like two minutes. Yeah, Taker would quash anybody. Undertaker, then. Pi- oh, Tombstone, Pile Driver, not the kind where he was strong enough to like hold you up and pop you, and you could see the the gap in the head. This was old school, nineteen ninety three Undertaker Tombstone, where he literally just dropped you on your skull and crumpled your neck. Yeah, but and and going back, the HBK Max Moon match was awesome. It was like oh, ten minutes long, some great back and forth. It was a really HBK good was one of the best, in my opinion. Um, they also trimmed it down. They, um, you know, uh, used the Damien Demento was in Die Hard with a Vengeance. He's one of the Germans. Eric. Is he? Yeah. 
Just a little. Which do we know which one he was, or is it just a generic? I'm pretty sure it was just generic. I don't know if he had uh, any lines. To go back, I was just watching Die Hard two on IFC the other day. And it's funny because I hadn't watched it in so long, but when I did watch it, every time, I probably saw it once, like unedited on like on VHS. But every other time, because that was one of your basic Saturday afternoon cable movies, mm-hmm. so it was always edited, and you, half the lines you didn't know. And I forgot how gruesome it is when I cut the guy's throat in the back of the truck. But IFC doesn't edit any of that out, so I was actually really enjoying watching Die Hard to unedited for the first time, and probably. Well, probably first time in 15 years. He was the one that tried to kill John and Zeus at Yankee Stadium with the with the sniper gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's my second favorite one. It goes one, three, two, and then all the others. Yeah, that, me too. I'm the same way. I love three, though. I love one, three's almost oh, three's up there with awesome. one. Yeah. Uh, three, three. I think is funnier. One's just smarter. It's just a smart fucking movie. Yeah. Being an action film. I gave you my uh, pitch last night for my movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think. There's a lot of Heineken. <laughs> uh, and then uh, there was also a great Vince Razor Ramon promo in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then throughout, um, throughout the uh, card, throughout the show, uh, you can just see Doink the Clown running around. Like, just working up the fans and taunting the guys in the ring, and he's just in the background <coughs> the whole time. Um, yeah. And eventually, at the end, uh, Crush comes out and confronts Doink. Yeah, Doink was uh, the ba- a bad guy, right? At the beginning? Uh, yeah, kind of. He was a psycho clown? Yeah. yeah. And then that led to um, uh, their match at WrestleMania 9, and that's when the two Doinks <coughs> appeared. And, uh, right, they did the two doink thing. The yeah, two doinks. Well, that's cool. But yeah, th- this set. Uh, and I mean, this really this changed everything, which then led to the Monday Night Wars, and we can definitely got to do more wrestling shows down the line. <laughs> but because this this was easy to get lost into, because then I just started. I watched the entire thing. I mean, it's only like forty five minutes, because at the time it was just an hour. Then it expanded two hours. I think three hours is just too long. Of a, of a show to put a show on a lot of it's just filler and especially some of these pay-per-views too uh our buddy jake who still thinks it, it's still real to him it's damn still it. real to him damn it um like you said some of these pay-per-views are running like five six hours long like it's the entire night and the people in the stands like you can't sit there and watch five hours of this stuff you know a lot of it just becomes filler but I mean, when you look at that card, Yokozuna, Steiner Brothers, uh, with the long hair, mind you, Scott with the flowing yeah. locks, yeah, and uh, HBK and Taker, that that's your Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I, I'll that's take stacked. it. That's a WrestleMania card. Yeah, I'll take it. And even though the guys that there, I mean, Coco Beware was a name. Um, Max Moon wasn't around long in there, and you know Damian Demento was on his way out at that point. But none of these were really even like squashes. You know, they still put on a good, good matches. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's uh, get on to my last pick. Hurry to McDonald's Holiday Film Festival. 
featuring the classic Charlotte's Web, unbelievably priced at just $5.99 when you buy any large sandwich. Or get the hit Ghost. Yes! Or The Addams Family. Showtime! Or Wayne's World. Just $5.99 each when you buy any large sandwich. No way. way. You can see these new movies at theaters and own the originals. But hurry, because these values will be gone in a flash. What you want is what you get at McDonald's today. So do you remember these old uh, McDonald's? They started in like 90, I don't know, 1990, 1991 with Dances with Wolves. So if you buy like a large sandwich, like a Big Mac, a Quarter Pounder, an Egg McMuffin, you, you fork over like like six to eight bucks and you get a VHS of a big movie. It was a hell of a deal and it was always huge for us. It would be like, oh, let's go to McDonald's and get 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 the movie. This year was particular. They were, they were promoting... Wayne's World 2 and Adam's Family Values by giving Adam the original Adam's Family and the original Wayne's World as VHS. Also, Charlotte's Web and Ghost were too. We, we definitely got Ghost from this. Charlotte's Web on VHS, the Templeton. Uh, I was like Templeton the Rat, screaming up McDonald's to rush down and watch Charlotte's Web. But this was always a cool... Uh, McDonald's like owned promos back in the day. Like, this was a fantastic idea for the 90s. Like, come in, buy a Big Mac, and for like six bucks, you get a good movie on VHS. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, there was always a reason, even though the food wasn't great, to go to McDonald's. But I mean, well, to be, you're, yes, you're right. But as a kid, it was cuisine. Oh, yeah. As a kid, it was, yeah. it was, it was sugar, fat, and salt. And there's nothing better than that. So yeah, I mean, um, so this came and and I back in the the nineties and the eighties, but I, from what I remember in the nineties, McDonald's owned Christmas with their Christmas promos. Mm-hmm. So you know, this was always a great one. Like they had great Christmas commercials. They had the they always had the holiday McNuggets, which we talked about, and like the the peppermint syrup for the the, the Sundays and the eggnog milkshakes, amongst all the. Still, I get excited when the um. Uh, Shamrock shakes come out, and right. I don't even like them. Right, it's, it's just like your your whole thing with the, the whole junk food thing. It's like right. you're just glad it exists. Right. To me, I don't I don't like the shamrock shakes. The last time I had one was probably like 1995, and I got sick on it. <laughs> but just it being there is that little bit of nostalgia, and I just I like seeing it on the menu as I'm. Oh yeah. You know, as I'm getting my my cheap little 99 cent burger. I still just like the basic that. I, don't, I think they got rid of it. It was just a basic value meal. It was like the, the two cheeseburger one. That's okay. all I wanted. I'm a fan of the chicken nuggets there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, yeah. Is, is there a way? Because, cause again, it was something tangible. And also, like, you know, you would have to go out and either rent these or go out to a store and buy these VHS tapes. And now you could get a deal where you got a discount on them, buying them at McDonald's. Along got them dirt cheap, yeah. Meal. Yes. Is there a way, is there anything that they could do that's almost similar today? I no, mean, when everything's there's just, nothing there's they nothing, could do. There's nothing tangible anymore. No. So what, is that part of the reason that there's just... I just, I feel like a, movie studios real? like moved away from advertising with fast food in particular because back then, and your wife pointed this out, back then it wasn't like you weren't scolded by an, an internet mommy for giving mm. your kids fast food. It was just like a thing you did. And nowadays, and so in movie studios took advantage of that by, like, obviously 
when they're putting a soda tax in New York City and Philadelphia, they're not going to give you a 32-ounce collector Batman cup of soda True. anymore. But it's, you know, fill it with fucking fizzy water, you know? Fill it with fucking... I get unsweetened iced tea. Right, unsweetened iced teas. There's other options. Bring back these great promotions at McDonald's. Give us a reason to come in and get a get a fucking Spider-Man Homecoming holder for our French fries. It looks like his outfit. I mean, this is cool shit that we grew up with and people are missing out now because people can't fucking yeah. control themselves. This is America. Is, is that, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I, I, we can rant on this, but I'm like, it, McDonald's isn't the problem. No, it's, it's the people buying it and it, gorging on it. Portions, gorging. Like, you can go to McDonald's every now and then. and This is my, this is my guarantee to you. If we ever make a, a, a motion picture squeezer that's a blockbuster. Yeah. And they, we sit down with marketing, and they're like, all right, how are we going to market this? I'm like, you get McDonald's on the line, and you tell them, we're bringing back the supersize. <laughs> Fuck Morgan Spurlock. Well, they're going to they're gonna hide me. They'll put you out there out front, but they're like, <laughs> oh, we can't. I mean, we're bringing back the supersize. I want a supersized uh, Dasani sparkling, because hmm? that's really where the problem is, the, the big Coca-Cola. I well, wanna... And I'm going to push, I'm going to demand that whatever the dipping sauce is, if you get like a ranch dipping sauce with the McNuggets, they have to triple the size of it. Oh. Yeah, it... I, don't, I, I don't care for those. I don't want those little dishes. I want basically a Rubbermaid bowl full of ranch <laughs> dressing with every Happy Meal. For... I don't care if you even get nuggets. If you just get a burger and fries, you I get want the you tub. To have... For our, when you supersize, no matter what you get, you get a tub of, of a dressing. You get a tub of ranch dressing. Of a dipping sauce. No, ranch dripping. Well, for McNuggets, I like the barbecue, the tangy McDonald's barbecue. That's always a, been a big thing oh, for it's me. Not even, it's not even for that. You can pour it in your drink. You could... Uh... <laughs> so here's, here's our pitch for the movie Arcane oh, Squeezer Make. Can they do, is it possible to do a ranch dressing, a ranch dressing milkshake? A anything's possible, Squeezer. But no, this is our pitch. And you're, we're getting a little far off. You're getting into the area Sorry. of not true, not happening. I'll just put ranch dressing in the freezer and see what happens. Again, you're getting off topic. So our movie comes out, and the executives are pitching, and we say, come to McDonald's this Christmas for an, and tell them you want supersize. It's back, everybody. You order a super value meal for McDonald's, and you could get it supersized. But the only drink we'll serve you is Dasani Sparkling, or unsweetened iced tea, and it's 64 ounces. <laughs> Comes with the handle and the backpack straps. Oh, you <laughs> mad. I could go through that in a day. You get a supersized fry, and you get your supersized tub of dipping sauce, all for one low 99 cent upgrade. If you were to drink all that before it would go flat, your belly, you just have this little air belly. Yeah, well, it's not bad for you. It's no, LaCroix, like drink, the I Hollywood. The I just had that the the alcohol seltzer. Was that any good? For the first time. No, I'm not a fan. Yeah. It tastes it tastes like vodka tonic, which I don't like. It was there. I'm like, oh, a seltzer, and I didn't realize it. It was even alcohol. My I like pushed, seltzer. My mom pushed it, and on. I like beer. I don't need a mix of the two. Well, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a liquor person. If I am, I'm gonna have like a really fine you know whiskey or a scotch. I'm okay but, with just regular bourbon, but I just yeah. you know I don't drink it often. Um, I don't, I'm not a fan of like the, the mixed drinks and this just tastes, it tasted like, like a vodka tonic with like a splash of lime, which if that's what you're into, I say go for it. Cause it's also only like 5%. So you're not going to get lit up. 
Where do we go with these things? What do we do with our tangenting alarm? Um. <laughs> anyway, McDonald's. We're bringing back Super Size one day. You and me, Squeeze. All right. Let's go I'm to your gonna, la- last I'll pick. I'll give you some business. Now, hey, before you play this. All right. Uh, this game was released in Japan first <coughs> and then came to the U.S. There was no commercials in the U.S. for this, but there was one in Japan. Oh, boy. What the fuck? Landu Stalker! <laughs> Is this going to be on that Sega Unlimited they're releasing this week? Oh, that's a good question. They're I'm eventually going to put every Sega game ever made on it, so. Well, long story. Play the music. Beautiful music bed underneath us. Okay. The soundtrack to this game was awesome. Uh, tell us about the game. I never played it. Okay, so this is... Um, I'm going back to the whole... Real quick, the Sega thing. Uh, I was... I wanted to play this so bad while I'm doing all my research. It's been a while since I played it. I couldn't find the my AV cord to plug the Genesis into the TV, so I ordered one on Amazon. So Did it, it come was yet? supposed to be here. However, it is now somewhere in New Jersey. Amazon does that to you all the time. If it, it, it tells you it's coming on a Sunday, but it never comes on a Sunday. Well, the problem is it was shipping from the uh, distribution center that is 20 minutes from my house. <laughs> they sent it from... The one 20 minutes away to the one on down in, like, the Jersey Shore. Sure. And now it's shipping back up here. Oh, makes and sense. they admitted that they screwed up, that they sent the wrong way. So if I get it a day late on Amazon Prime, is there, like, a... I'm supposed to get two-day guarantee. What happens if I get it It's a not late? guaranteed. Oh, yeah, it's it is not. guaranteed delivery. It does yeah. say guarantee. I don't know. I spent four bucks on this thing. <laughs> and I wanted to play Landstalker. Anyway. Anywho. So, it is well known, and I've made it very clear, Super Mario Brothers 3 is my favorite game of all time. This might be number two, the more I think about it. Ooh. This, it is... It's hard. I don't like ranking everything, because there's some games I truly... Like, I'm a, I'm a Fallout guy. I love all those games. They're fantastic. You know, I just love... Old, even, like, GTA uh, Vice City is... GTA Vice City is where? Hmm? You said GTA Vice City what? It is a a classic that I I played a lot. Right. It's it's fantastic. This is up there on like the playtime. Now, Mario 3 dwarfs everything. I've played that more than anything because we had our Nintendo in college. And so for four years in college, I played, if I went to class and got back, I then played Mario 3. That's all we did. Right. Because I had no life. Right. Um... This game got the second most playtime. So this was uh, basically Sega's answer to um, Zelda. So it's an a adventure game. It's an isometric game. Uh, action RPG. So it, it's uh, like hack and slash. But with like leveling and you know weapon upgrades and all that kind of 
complexity and missions that you can go on and interaction with NPCs and villagers and all that kind of stuff. Lots of puzzles um, developed by Sega and Climax. Um, the puzzles in this game were fantastic. Yeah. Probably some of the, I, and as far as gaming goes, some of the best. I would put them up there. They compete with some of the best puzzles in, like the Zel in some of the Zelda games. Um, it can be really frustrating. Um, and then uh, a lot of some backtracking, especially. Like if you fall down like a pit and then you have to work your way back up, that was just kind of a way of punishing you. Because um, the jumping could be difficult. Because um, the isometric look to it. Right. So there was a bit of a learning curve, and the Genesis D pad, like the diagonal jump, wasn't perfect. Right. Um, but eventually you could, you know, once you got a handle on those controls, uh, it was, it, this game was a lot of fun. Um, really, like, story wise, um, and then even just the little side stories, like, there were these little missions you could do, like, you would go into this witch's hut. And this wasn't necessary for the game, but, you know, to complete it. But, like, you would walk in and you would talk to him. And the next thing you know, um, you turn into a dog. And you don't know she's a witch. She turns you into a dog. And the other two dogs that are in there you talk to realize that they're this, like, married couple that wandered in there one day. And she turned them into dogs. So now you have to free them. Wow. So now all these puzzles that you would normally do as your character, where you have your sword and all the magic shit that you would normally have, you have to. You're just a dog, right? Trying to solve these puzzles and stuff like that, um, and that that was really fun. Eventually, I think you drop like a, a spiky ball on her as the dog and kill her, and then return everyone. You get like a sword out of it, and then the happy couple live in the witch's hut that she was brutally murdered in. Um, and again, then there was a crypt, and you have to work your way through the crypt. And each crypt had these riddles that you would have to solve, and some of them were real simple, but like really complex something like just walking through walls and you're trying to figure out what the hell it can mean on all, all you have to do is just walk forward and walk right through the sign and it unlocked the door and you can get back up others were a little more complex like lifting pots and creating shit to try to get your way out um but yeah the soundtrack was also awesome uh i'm trying to i'm not gonna even pronounce his name but uh this guy takenochi takenochi shining force games cool um, there's a track. Play the other, play the other track. This was awesome. Cause you this is so gloriously '90s. Right. I feel like I'm like in a, like a '90s action show as this is playing. Yeah. Um, but like, and there was a lot of, a lot of like humor to it. Right, some adult humor. Like, and there was a lot of stuff like you would go to. The whole time they're teasing it that this is you would because you're a young kid and you're a treasure hunter and you go in this one room and she's like oh this is for adults only you're not mature enough to come in here and i'm like a 10 year old kid thinking, oh wow man it is like a, it's a brothel i can go and go and get my freak on and then eventually you work your way in there and it's a ballet studio okay so you think it's like a brothel slash uh uh strip club but they refer to it then as the ballet um and it's also some other plot points that you know are important actually to the main game because of that um and then you know there's other treasure hunters that are fighting you the best part i what i liked about this game was with link you were trying to save hyrule mm -hmm. you would stop ganon 
save Hyrule, save the princess, save the world. Every game you were saving the world. The whole point of Landstalker, it was you and your little fairy friend Friday, literally, derogatory, um, was to find King Knoll's treasure on this island of Mercator. That's it. And you do. And then at the end, you find, spoilers, you find the treasure, and you're like, you know what, we got all this money, but let's keep going, and I just have fun killing monsters and exploring, let's keep doing it. But you're still rich as hell while you're doing it. Like, that was it. The point of it was to find treasure and be rich. You, there was no higher moral answer or, or, or moral goal to this game other than so it's find a, the buried it's treasure. So it's a true it human condition. Yes. It, it was probably the most realistic game out there despite the giant mushrooms that could pop out of the ground and poison you. Hated those damn things. <laughs> but this game... I love this game. And as soon as that damn thing comes from Jersey, Planet. I would have known that. I would have driven. I would have stopped by on my way to work. I'd pass it. Huh. And I would have picked it up. So we talked a lot tonight. We talked a lot about everything. We covered 93 pretty well. What are we talking about next week? Oh, Summer what junk you, food? What, what do you, yeah, let's talk junk food. I like it. In. And remember, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music and Stitcher and whatever format you're on and please rate us and leave a review that would help out tremendously. We love our fan base and we'd love for you guys to do this. Thanks again for listening.